Thank you so much for downloading the podcast and for listening. It never goes unnoticed that you have chosen Hide of Heart and to be involved in this week's conversation. So thank you so much. I'm Deanna. And as always, if you haven't already subscribed, make sure you do that because I wouldn't want you to miss out on any of the cool stuff that's coming up, particularly as we head into the new year. And heading into this new year, or as we wrap up this current one, I'd want you to do so with confidence. I'm particularly excited about today's guest, influencer, pop artist, fashion muse. We'll talk more about that a little later. Wife, mother, and now author, Juliana Zobrist. In her new book, Pull It Off, she challenges the expectations and shoulds of society by championing others to achieve confident living. In our conversation today, us church kids are exploring confidence, the confidence to be you and live an extraordinary life. So stay with us. Well, why don't we just start, Juliana? Why don't you give us a little snapshot or a little overview of really who you are, but in your own words? Yeah, definitely. Well, I am one of six kids. I grew up in Iowa City, Iowa, so it was sort of a rural like farm area, <laughs> actually. And I was always kind of the a wild child, dressing the however I wanted to dress, making my own clothes, um, writing music, writing songs, loving to perform. And um, I ended up studying at Belmont University in music and in business. And that was sort of the beginning of my career um, in music. So I was a songwriter for six years and traveled around just performing the songs. And as you know, the longer that I, the longer that I performed my songs, the more I wanted to extend the time in between the songs and explain what they were about and explain my heart. And, and I began to realize that, um, I really just loved communicating in general and have a love of people and a desire to connect with them. And, and that's really where the, um, the book came from. And, um, so now we're traveling around on tour. I have three little kids, a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a two-year-old, and they bounce around the U.S. with me. Juliana, you're such a creative all-rounder, I feel like. I mean, you're you're a musician, you're a songwriter, you're totally into fashion, you're a big deal on Instagram. I've actually never spoken to anyone, I don't think. I've never interviewed anyone who is referred to in their bio as a fashion muse. So (laughs) how do you feel about being referred to as a fashion muse? Muse for I who? have no idea. I'm I'm always saying I'm not. People are always like, "What are you doing in the fashion world?" I'm like, "Nothing. I don't <laughs> do it. I just really enjoy it." <laughs> and I, you know, I've been so lucky to um, get to be a part of various things with certain with different designers. And I think because I have such a strong individual taste for myself and I'm not afraid to mix my target t-shirt with a Gucci skirt. Um, it's just sincere to me, but, um, but I find that it's really fun and refreshing for others, which is where we're connecting and just being able to truly allow self-expression to be just that self-expression and not, not others expression. I say this all the time to people, but we've got to learn the art of fitting out instead of trying so hard to fit in. And that's really where the magic lies. 
Wow. Fitting out instead of fitting in. I like that. Let me ask you, what is your feeling on Instagram? Because you're active, obviously, online. And for a lot of people, um, it's a great creative outlet. And it also becomes a great business opportunity to grow a community between you and your audience. But I guess it's also become a bit of a pressure point with actresses and models and people in fashion um, Mm. booking jobs based on how many followers they have. And so you kind of can forget to live a real life and live a life that you can display on Instagram. Um, What's your take on the whole thing? And how do you find balance? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think for people that are enjoying social media just for their own personal usage, it's really important for them to realize that for people like me, it is it is partly for business. And so there is um, a little bit of a requirement there. Um, and obviously the pictures are more professional and things like that. So really we can get into trouble when we're comparing ourselves um, to certain individuals when the reality is that's their job and they've got a lighting team and they've got a great camera and they've got, you know, their angles down. So it's, it's good to remain, um, with a clear perspective when it comes to that so that we avoid comparison just to, uh, just to realize that business is business for certain people. For me, um, personally, I have a pretty defined, um, amount of time that I allow for my social media every day. And that's just really to protect myself and my time and my, my family time as well. I always, um, ask my kids whether or not I can post anything with them in it. (laughs) And it's typically a no. So I try and keep it, allow work to be work. Um, and I say that, but I do really, really love it. It's extremely important for me. I run all of my own social media, which is really rare for um, people in my job. But it's really important for me that when you meet me on the street and when you follow me on Instagram and when you read my book and when you listen to my music and when you come to my show, that it's like, oh yeah, that's Jules, that's Jules, that's Jules. And I'm not a different person online than I am right in front of your face. So how did you come to faith? You know, I grew up in a Christian household. My dad is actually a pastor, um, just recently is retiring. And so I I had I was surrounded by this love of God and appreciation for faith and um knowledge of the Bible specifically. I would have considered myself a naturalist growing up. I saw God in everything that he created, but I didn't necessarily have a personal like faith in him. Um, and that for me was, was really just something that, uh, I really grew to believe in college that I needed and desired this connection, this relationship with God. And I began to read a lot of philosophy. I read a lot of Plato and he believes as do I, that we're all made in the image of God, that when God says that He's created us, male and female, in His image, that that means that I have sort of an imprint of Him in me, and that you carry a different imprint of Him within you. And so, it really allows for this beautiful moment of celebrating one another and celebrating diversity, because when you think about God as as creating people and creation in His image, then it's almost like we're fractions of who He is. And so, um, that has been such a revolutionary understanding in my own life to and really the springboard out of which I champion and and encourage people to remain who they are because 
I believe that God has intentionally created you to be exactly who that is. Yes. Um, And speaking of being who you are and knowing who you are, sometimes it creates, or I would, I I don't know, often it requires a a fair amount of confidence for us to really embrace that. And you're this creative, outspoken, go getter. You've built a life for yourself and for your family. How did you get so confident? Oh man, by realizing that not everyone liked me all the time. <laughs> I actually <laughs> learned it the I learned it the hard way because for so much of my life I tried really hard to um please other people. I tried really hard to um make sure that everyone liked me. And it didn't take me long to realize that as hard as I could try to be kind and to love and to not be misunderstood and to be clear in the way that I'm communicating, as hard as I try, um there will always be somebody that finds something that they don't like. You know, I'm 34 now and I've never met somebody that I agree with 100% of the time. So so why would somebody agree with me 100% of the time? And the way that confidence comes into that, because it kind of sounds depressing at first, but it can be. Otherwise, you allow it to be liberating. And that for me was the moment when I realized that, you know what? I can't live my life for other people um, because we're too fickle and we change our minds too often and trends come and go. So my confidence was found in this moment of I am choosing to accept who I am, accept the journey of my own becoming, um, realize that God is good with me, not because of what I'm doing, but just by being who I am. And therein for me really lies my confidence is, is really believing that worth and that value. That sounds like um, it's a big realization to come to. When you made that decision, I'm, I'm not going to live for the pleasure of others anymore. I'm going to live for the pleasure of God and be that audience and that audience of one and be myself. Was that mm-hmm. scary? Do you remember what that felt like? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it wasn't like a punctiliar moment that just has lived in infamy now. It actually is a daily it's a daily decision for me. It's a daily um, deliberate decision of going, Jules, you were created in the image of God and you are bearing an image of Him that no one else has. And you have a, a personality that no one else has and a proclivity that no one else has and a way that you desire to express yourself that no one else has. And I have to remind myself of that, especially when I'm faced with criticism and um when I'm faced with my own insecurities and fear and self-doubt, I have to remind myself that uh, where my value and my worth comes from. It is often fear, I guess, that keeps us from living a full or courageous, creative, or even truthful life, truthful to who we are, I'm speaking of. Have there been fears that have held you back or that you still battle with? Yes, absolutely. You know, Circumstantially, I think all of our lives are all very different. We all look and live different lives. But the common denominator is that fear is present and that insecurities are present. And I've I've never met somebody that's courageous and confident that isn't just isn't as much in tune with their insecurities. And I, you know, as I began to write the book and people would ask me, How are you how do you pull it off? And they would it would typically be um, referring to the fact that I look like I get dressed in like a Crayola box, you know, <laughs> but, but <laughs> Lots they of would color. Have, they would, or they would say things like I could never pull that off. And I started flipping the question on them and saying, who's telling you that you can't? 
why are you saying that you could never pull that off? Why are you saying that you could never pull off X, Y, and Z in your life? And it was so interesting to me because nine times out of 10, there was no answer. It wasn't like finances or family or time or religion or anything. The hesitation and um, the biggest hurdle that I realized we were struggling with is our own insecurities and our own self-doubt that we were just telling ourselves, I could never pull that off. It's not even coming from somebody else. you know. So when we, um, I think that a large reason for that is that our culture is telling us to be fearless. There's this very predominant um, message of fearlessness, you know, and, and be who you are and don't care what anybody else thinks. And I just think that that's really unrealistic um, because if you're going to avoid fear, then you're actually avoiding the opportunity for courage. And if you're avoiding your insecurity, then you're avoiding the opportunity to grow out of your insecurity and become stronger. So it's a, it's vitally important for us to begin to redefine fear and insecurity, the ones that we face even on a daily basis, to begin reframing those as actually opportunities and catalysts for our courage. Yeah, I really like that. Um, tell me about something else that you you write in the book about heart authority. What is heart authority? Yeah, heart authority, for me, I visualize our hearts, you know, our, our souls, the kind of the well out of which we make our decisions. I imagine it being enclosed in something, some sort of filter that that um, allows certain things to come in and keep certain things out. And for me, what I'm trying to argue in that chapter is that we all live out of something. You know, our, we're all motivated by something. Oftentimes, our motivation is to please other people or um, in my own life, I've found some of my motivation to be avoiding fear or insecurity. If I'm nervous about something, I'm not doing it. You know, if there's a chance for failure, I'm not even going there. That used to be a motivation for me. Um, what I am encouraging us to look at is what is that motivation for you? What what keeps you from being and pulling off in life what it is that you want to do? And if we can replace, you know, other people's perceptions of us or other people's opinions of us or comparison, if we can replace and take away that as our heart authority and actually put in your own intrinsic value and worth, well, then you start to look at life a little bit differently. Then the authority is not what do they think, but is this true to my heart? Am I staying true to who I am? Um, am I valuing and finding the worth in who God has made it? made me to be and allowing that to be your motivator as opposed to the opinions of other people. Well, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot more talk now about the power of vulnerability, which I'd like to talk to you about for a moment. And this is much thanks, I guess, to the author Brene Brown, who's written prolifically on this subject. Um, what does vulnerability look like for you and where do you find that it brings power in your life? Yeah, vulnerability is hard for me. It's something that I have had to learn to um, to trust and learn to see the power in it. For me, it's being willing um, to express myself, even in my words, you know, to communicate my own heart, to communicate my own fears. Um, there is so much power in being vulnerable, in being sincere, 
even with our own selves, because first and foremost, you have to be willing to dig deep in who you are and and see yourself clearly, really before you're going to be able to communicate and empower other people um, and expect other people to give that in return back to you. So I think being vulnerable is one of the most courageous things that you can do. And that starts with looking at your own heart. And then um, I think it manifests itself in our ability to allow other people to be honest, allow other people to be different, allow there to be diversity of thought and belief and, and creativity. And um, for that to no longer be threatening, for but for there to be a desire for understanding more than a desire to be necessarily right or wrong. And vulnerability is really the only ground out of which that will be able to grow is when we're able to be open and honest with one another. You mentioned that you find vulnerability difficult, that it doesn't come naturally for you. I would say the same about myself. It's a struggle. It's a bit of a journey. When it comes to whether it's your family life or your music career or working in fashion and, and or you said you don't do a lot in fashion, but you obviously <laughs> are an advocate for fashion as seen on your Instagram and other things in terms of what you choose to wear and what you um, support from a, from a designer perspective. Um, and Instagram in general, like, where have you found that um, having the courage to be vulnerable has changed something that you do where you've seen a return, you've seen breakthrough? Where has it really brought change when you've had the courage to do that? Oh, my goodness. In so many ways. Um, last night, we had an event here in Chicago and um, a woman came up to me and she was kind of shaking. And she said, she said, I suffer with severe anxiety so I didn't want to come here because I didn't want to have to be around all of these people. And she's literally shaking as she's telling me this. She said, but I read your book. I've actually read it twice. And she said, I'm believing that if I can exercise my courage tonight, that maybe it'll be just even a little bit easier tomorrow. And I was literally just so overwhelmed that somebody like her who's struggling with anxiety is reading something that resonates with my heart, you know, just taking that one step, that one little baby step of courage, um, that one little decision to not hide behind other people, but to stay true to your own heart, you know, that was an act of courage for her. And to be able to see that and to give her a hug and to like receive that and say, I'm with you, I hear you, I see you, um, that has just been the most overwhelming and um, honoring thing that I have gotten from being vulnerable with my own struggles and with my own heart. Yeah, it's so hard to step out. And yet when you do, you see such incredible impact, which is just yes. must be so encouraging. What, let me ask you, what do you know... What do you know now that you didn't know in, say, your 20s that you think would be a really important thing to either pass on or even something that you kind of wish you'd known 10 years ago? Yes, I definitely, I wish that I would have, if I could go back, what I would tell that girl in her early 20s or, you know, I was 18 when I went to college, um, I would tell her that the things that she tried really hard to hide are actually where her superpowers are. You know, those things that we 
try and steer away from, or we think that we're going to get made fun of for, or we think, oh, the world won't appreciate that. Those are your most sincere, most true aspects of who you are. And so if you can empower yourself to just let everything that you think the world needs from you and, and all of the ways that you think you should be, if you can just allow yourself to rid yourself of those expectations and really dig and and be honest with yourself of as to what are those what are those really intimate what are those really unique gifts that you have um man that that's what i would tell myself i love that well one of the things you write in the book you've written After you strip away the confusing opinions and preferences that every man, woman and child on earth will have about the way you live your life, you'll be left with a lot less noise and a lot more open space in your heart. Now, I like this a lot, but how do we achieve it? Yes. um, One of the tools that we talk about in the book is, is called the shoulds, and you might be referenced. You might reference that later, but it's S H O U L D S. And my definition of shoulds are individual opinions and preferences that are unique to each individual. So, for me, um, you know, Jules, you shouldn't have worn that. You should definitely, put, you know, dye your hair back darker. You know, you should parent like that. You shouldn't talk like that. You're a Christian. You shouldn't have said that. You know, if we all have opinions and preferences as to the way that we live our lives. And we have to realize that when other people are subjecting you to them, that they are, what I say, shooting on you. S-H-O-U-L-D-I-N-G. <laughs> they're shooting. They're placing their own opinions and preferences on you. Yes. And if you can step back and go, okay, that's not the fact that I don't like kale and I want to eat a cheeseburger, <laughs> like that's that, a great example. You know what I mean? Like that, does, that's not a right or wrong. I don't have to feel pressure to eat the kale salad just because everyone else is. I don't have to feel pressure to wear monochromatic black just because that's what's trendy. Um, but recognizing, taking a step back, recognizing that those things are right for them, but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily right for you. And so much of what I tell girls and I tell my daughters and I speak to women about is the, it is so vital that we educate ourselves and educate our children. It is so necessary that um, we look back at history and look at the way that people used to live. And look at the trends that they kind of walked through. And then even currently and the way that beauty is defined on a global scale, what does beauty look like globally? What does success look like globally? What are the different trends that people um, live and navigate in? And they're not in and of themselves bad, but they are very real. And it's important for us to, to realize and properly categorize them in our heads that these are opinions. These are trends. These are just their preference. It's not right or wrong. It's not an issue of right or wrong. Um, when you're able to do that, um, it's a very liberating place to be. Yeah, you're sort of describing my life a little bit. 
And I, I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot, but you mentioned that you're a minister's kid. I'm a minister's yeah. kid as well. Oh, um, no way. Yeah, and I really feel like as I've explored some of this kind of stuff as an adult, this should, this this pressure to be a certain something that is, these shoulds that and p- opinions that you feel are placed on you um, mm-hmm. often come, I feel like, from the community that you might have grown up in. And the people aren't bad. I've, I've You know, people are good. They love Jesus. They work hard. Uh, but often the the contrast or the difficulty is is kind of it's a community thing it's all these opinions in one place put on you for no apparent reason and now you've got kids so you're thinking about the kind of communities that they grow up in I'm wondering how can we build um faith communities specifically but communities at large where yes we're tight-knit um but we are supportive of everyone's different you know, whatever they look like, whatever they like, however they best express their love for God in their faith, whatever career path they choose, how can we mm. be more supportive and create a more supportive community instead of a opinionated community? Yeah, I love that question. Um, you know, I, one of the phrases that I use a lot in social media is unity, not uniformity. And within the context of the church, um, this is pretty difficult to achieve because it's much easier when we're thinking about God and a relationship with Jesus to to um, cata- or to try and quantify what it takes to have a good one, you know. And there definitely exists this sort of hierarchy of who's the most holy and um, work our way down from there. You know, who's your, who's the mentor? Who's the leader? Who's the? We have these ways of of creating a hierarchy within the church, and I think that. It is really important for us to be very aware of that and very leery of that, of our our bent towards doing that. You know, I think it kind of goes back to the first Adam and their desire to, you know, to to be like God. And so we want to know everything that God knows, you know. And um, that's what we do when we place shame on one another especially using God's name, um, it just doesn't really leave any room for dialogue and for diversity and for uh, any kind of differentiation in the way that we think or talk or believe. And um, the problem with that is that it isolates us from the rest of the world. It isolates us from people. And I think we have to remember that, you know, Scripture tells us that they will know us by our love for one another, they will know that you love God by how the by the way that we love not one another, not by the way that you parent your kids, not because you homeschool them, not because you blend kale in their smoothies, not because you wear a skirt this length, and not because you don't dye your hair, and not because you know we have all of these ways that we've tried to quantify our relationship to God. We even do that with childbirth, like you're super holy if. You don't use any medicine when you have your babies or whatever. Like, it's pretty crazy how much we try and um, we try and do that. Say, God will be more pleased with you because of because you did X, Y, and Z. And the most important thing that we can do, I believe, is to go, no, that's why Jesus had to come, was because we didn't know the right way, you know? And, and He allowed us, He said— um, he said, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We're all one. 
you know, and each man should be fully convinced in his own mind. And so, he's given us this freedom to be educated, (laughs) to inform ourselves, to read and study and um, expand our minds and, and stay grounded still in the scriptures. So, if we could embrace our unity before God in the fact that we're created in His image, that we're loved by Christ because of His goodness, not our own, then we wouldn't feel such a need to try and um, tell other people the way that they need to be living. Or to even worse, say, God will be more pleased with you if you eat your kale. You know, like, that's just, is ridiculous. Yeah. And kale's not a measuring point for anyone's holiness or even health. <laughs> no. So that's a great I example. Know. Thank you for sharing your um, your honest thoughts on that. I know I haven't got much time left. So let me just ask you a couple more questions. So when yes. people criticize us, either through their words or body language, like rolling their eyes, how uh-huh. can we respond with grace without cowering away? Yeah, that's a great question. Um it's very important. There's a chapter in the book called Verbal Gymnastics, and it kind of walks through these ways that we attempt to control one another or communicate with one another without actually using words. And I have found when people are criticizing me, the best thing for me to do, and I've done this with total strangers, I literally <laughs> walked up to a woman who called me a really nasty name uh, as she was uh you know, I was singing at something and she didn't like, I don't know, whatever. But I walked up to her after I kind of calmed myself down and I said, hey, I overheard what you said to your friend and I'm just sort of wondering why you would say that about me when you don't know me. And her face was like deer in the headlights. You know, she <laughs> she was so shocked that I was bold enough to just call her out. And I was so kind. I wasn't pointing the finger, but I was just simply asking why. And I think that that's a really, really powerful tool when people are criticizing you, whether it be social media or in your in front of your face, or they roll your eyes and move along, just to go, "Hey, why why did you do that? I guess I'm I'm missing what's going on here," you know. And really asking people to step up and put words to their to their criticism. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and to get to meet you. I really appreciate it. Yes, absolutely. You as well. Before I let you go, um, tell me just lastly, what are you hoping that readers will take away from your new book, Pull It Off? I just hope and pray that they know that they are so loved and that they are intentional, that God doesn't need them to grow up one more day to be used by Him, that they're perfectly intended to be the imperfect person that they are. Um, and I hope that that becomes their catalyst, their springboard for creativity and expression and communication and vulnerability and really stepping out into the world into this courage and this confidence and this brilliance that He's given us. My thanks to Juliana Zobrest for speaking with me today. I do hope you're inspired to find your courage and use it and are reminded that you don't have to live your life based on how someone else thinks you should. Her new book, Pull It Off, is available now from Hatchet Book Group. And that's it from me. So thanks for listening. I hope to have your company again soon.